Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 9 through 29. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting, and the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do. Even today, before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book, to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried this book of the law, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. 
Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for this time that we have to hear your word. We ask that you would be with us during this time. Pray that we would have ears to hear, hearts that are receptive. Lord, and that we would be obedient to your word. I pray that the warnings that are given here, Lord, would fall, as Jim Bob said, on good soil. Lord, that if we need to repent, if we need to turn back from our wicked ways, from things that influence us towards ungodliness, Lord, I pray that we would respond appropriately. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So that's not my sermon text. I'm sorry. I know I've been giving you guys a lot of reading this morning. Um, but we're going to be in Second Kings chapter 22. I wanted to give you guys um, just a taste of what the Lord and what the Lord set up with his people in the Old Testament, especially in the first five books with writing out the covenant that he had with Israel. In this passage right here, it's a famous passage where um, a righteous king, King Josiah, finds the book of the law in the temple as he's repairing it. So I wanted to give you a little bit of context of what the book of the law was, what was contained therein, so that we could better understand uh, what's going on uh, in the life of God's people at this point in history. So we're in 2 Kings chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah the daughter of Adiah of Bozketh. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly." And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it. Before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed. The words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Achbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe, 
Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you encountered people that you used to know? Say it's been years since you've seen them. You're not, you weren't as good of friends to the point of where if you left for 10 years and you called them up, you could just pick up right back where you left off. I'm not talking about that kind of friend. I'm talking about someone who had a decent relationship with, but for some reason over the course of life, you got separated You've been gone, and then now, due to some circumstance, you encounter them again. Did you ever find it difficult to relate with that person? Happened to me about four years ago. I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, Greenville-Spartanburg area. Went to church all my life. Hung out with most of the kids in the youth group. A lot of you know this. And those friends that I had in the youth group were good, godly friends. When I went to college, I still had some interaction with them, but seven years ago, I moved up to Louisville, and I hadn't seen most of them maybe once since, and that time that I saw them was at my brother's wedding, and I really wasn't expecting it. I I was joyful for the fact that my brother was getting married. I was rejoicing with him on that day, and I remember we're going, we're traveling down there. We finally get there for the rehearsal dinner, you know. I'm all dressed, ready to go, and then a bunch of these people arrive that I used to know, and I didn't really think about it, but suddenly, at least for me, there was a noticeable awkwardness and estrangement, people that I actually had a pretty close relationship with at one time, somehow, over the course of time, due to different circumstances, I found them to be strangers. I didn't know how to relate to them. And that's not exactly what's going on in this passage right here, but there's some similar principles here. The people of Judah find themselves at a point in history where they have forgotten God. They have forgotten his law. They have forgotten his commandments. You can look at this passage and you can see the disarray of the temple of the Lord how they're having to repair it. If you dig deep into it, they've actually been using the temple of the Lord for idol worship. 
a place that was meant to be uh, a place of worship of the only true God has now been debased and lowered to become a place of idolatry. And then you couple the fact that they end up finding the book of the law and it, they react to it as if they're shocked like they didn't know about it. This is a pretty terrifying place to be in if I was in Judah's shoes. Especially looking back at the verses that we just read in Deuteronomy where even that book you're supposed to read, they were supposed to read it once every seven years to keep that in the front of their mind. So what happened? How did, how did they get here? What circumstances played out in the life of Judah and Israel that got them from saying in the last chapter of Joshua, when Joshua warned them, choose you whom this day you will serve. And they said, we will serve the Lord. And even then, Joshua told them, no, you won't. You're going to fall away, just like Moses predicted. But they said, no, we will serve the Lord. How did they get from there to where they don't even know what the book of the law says. Let's look back. You don't have to turn to these passages that I'm about to show you. I just want to give it to you as a frame of reference. So when God established his covenant with his people, and they're coming into the promised land to, take con- to, uh, to enact the conquest of the land of Canaan, God told him to drive out the Canaanites from the land. But if you read in Exodus 34, the reason God commanded them to do this is so that they don't mix with these people to be influenced by them, to take their their daughters for wives. And then those influences cause them to go after other gods, leading them away from the true God of all creation. That's why they were to drive them out. But as we see from Even Joshua chapter 17, verses 12 through 13, and if you turn to the first chapter of Judges, before the first chapter is done, it's clear that Israel failed to do this. They failed to drive out all of the inhabitants of the land. They drove out some. They partially obeyed, but they didn't completely obey the command of the Lord. So what happened? They dwelt in the land with these people. And over the course of time, of history, little by little, those influences that we just talked about and read in those passages eventually began to take root. And little by little, they began to be swayed towards other gods, away from the God of Israel. So, they make compromise after compromise, and it ultimately leads to where we find the people of Judah in this passage. So, really, we need to notice this progression for where they're at. They disobey the Lord by failing to put the nations away. They begin to be influenced by them. They fall into idolatry, and they forget their covenant God. So, we we see in this that there's a heavy power of influence that's present in the nation of Israel. And it's not just for them, it's for us. The power of influence. Same thing happens, it happens with us too, right? You don't have to, you don't have to look very far to notice that there are other influences in this world that are vying for our attention. You can walk out your front door 
and you're already bombarded with messages from the world about what you should love and really, if you dive deep enough into it, who you should worship. Influences exist all around us. You got authors of books. I know many of you are in school, a lot of college students in here. You got professors, many ideologies coming from the realm of academia. There's politicians out there. A lot of us follow the uh, political landscape, especially of the United States. Different philosophies coming in and out through that. Professional athletes that we all like to follow. Even though we may say, you know, I'm just following their game. I just like the way they play this sport. But if you follow them closely enough, they're, they're using their platform to try to influence people towards their ideologies. Get on your phone. Every, most people have smartphone nowadays, so you've got social media right there at the touch of your fingertips. You can get on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. People, again, vying for your attention, promoting their self-interests, things that are important to them. And a lot of this includes secular philosophies, things that would steer you away from your covenant God. Now, not all influences are bad, right? There are good influences out there, too. I remember being in school when I was younger and being involved in different clubs, even involved in scouts. And at least at the time, it promoted positive moral values, things of that nature. So there are good influences out there as well. But I think what we must ask of ourselves is, What influences us? Not whether or not something does influence us because we know that it does. But what influences us and does it influence me toward walking in greater obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ or not? Now some of those influences that may mean we can easily walk away from, right? I know we live in the real world. You you walk out in society and even if you're not seeking it, right, It's there. You just see it. I mean, it's on billboards. It's in magazines. You walk in the grocery store, and, you know, there's these magazine stacks in front of you that have got pictures and different things on them that, you know, aren't really helpful. Promoting different ideas, things like that. You you can't always just steer away from it. But what are we doing to combat it? What was Israel doing to combat it? And what the point is here is, over a period of time, slowly but surely, compromise after compromise after compromise, they woke up one day and they're like, I don't even know what this book says. What is this book? They just found it. God's covenant people did not know what the book of the law was. That's crazy. And we would be tempted to think, That's not going to happen to us. Can't happen to us. Take heed lest you fall. It can happen to us. There are worldly influences still vying for our attention. If we are not careful, if we don't combat those things, if we don't do the next point of my sermon, we will surely, inevitably, end up in a place like this, falling under The wrath of God. So we see first the power of influence. Second, we see our need to remember. So the culmination of all this is that Israel had forgotten, the people of Judah had forgotten their covenant God. 
It says in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, it reiterates what we read in chapter 31, that the Lord blessed Israel, and Israel, his people grew fat under his provision. They got all this stuff. They were in a really good place. And what did they do? Their mindset shifted. They thought they didn't need God anymore. They forgot him, and they went into idolatry. They forgot God. They forgot God. And you see in other passages in Deuteronomy that we read in our scripture readings, there's explicit commands that were given to his people to intentionally remember. To remember what, had, what God had done in their history. To remember to read his book so that they would know and learn to fear the Lord. To read his book so that they would, not only they would learn to fear the Lord, but that the stranger and sojourner among them might learn to fear the Lord. That they would read and know this book so that they might teach their children to fear the Lord. They needed to remember. So, have you ever gotten one of those, have you ever gotten one of those slips in the mail um, from your dentist office? I know there's some people in here who are dental hygienists and stuff like that. I'm not saying anything bad about the dentist office, but I personally don't like it, okay? I don't like people putting sharp things in my mouth, okay? It's just, uh, I, there's just something about it. I'd rather get a shot, you know, in my arm or something like that, even... Other surgeries, they don't bother me as much as the thought of somebody coming in with sharp, pointy objects and just messing them up. I just, I can't handle it. But every so often, I think you're supposed to go to the dentist every six months. Usually about every six months, I get a card in the mail from my dentist office. Hey, reminder for your appointment. Why do they do that? Because I'll forget. It's simple. And what if I don't go? What if I continually forget? What if I continually just neglect it? What's going to happen? Well, after a while, you know, my teeth aren't going to look very good. Not only that, you know, you start to get into health concerns, not just from a hygiene perspective, but health concerns, infections, things of that nature, and then it can lead to even bigger problems. All if I'd just gone to the dentist, you know, like I was supposed to, Maybe they could have seen some of that, been able to prevent it and keep me from going down this path over here. We're a forgetful people. We, you forget stuff all the time, whether that be assignments, whether that be, you know, uh, due dates for projects at work, appointments. We forget. We constantly set reminders and things for ourselves. What do people all across America do today? They remember because of what happened 21 years ago. They remember it was a devastating event. And they should remember. We should remember things like that. It's appropriate. You should remember the Lord your God. You should have practices in your life that help you do that. Just from reading, from being here this morning, from confessing the faith through song, with other brothers and sisters, from being in Sunday school, from hanging out with uh, other believers during the week. Some of the best times that I've ever had in my spiritual life have been hanging out with believers from my church, outside of church, just meeting one-on-one, saying, hey, here's my life. You know, 
opening up to them, held accountable to what I confess with my mouth as a covenant member of Bullet Lake Baptist Church, but even more importantly, as a believer in Jesus Christ. That remembrance keeps you, it's a means by God to keep you in the faith. Are you remembering? Not only are you remembering, are you as a member of Bullet Lick Baptist Church participating in helping your brothers and sisters that are in the pews beside you remember as well? That's part of the covenant that you signed if you didn't know that. You, you are called to encourage, exhort, and hold one another accountable to that confession. Are you doing that? Parents, do you help your children remember and learn to fear the Lord in your conduct and how you treat them, how you train them up in godliness? Do they know what the word of God is because they see you reading it? Do they know what the word of God says because you teach it to them? Do your friends, those in your realm of influence, do they know by the way that you act at work, not only with the integrity in which you walk, but do they also know through the words of your mouth that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, seeking to live a life that matters on this earth in each and every sphere of influence in which you walk? Are you helping yourself remember, but are you helping others remember the Lord, their God? We forget. It's our natural propensity. So many things involved in life. We, we go to work. We come home. We eat dinner. We clean a house. We raise kids. We play sports. We hang out with friends. We go to appointments. We get the car fixed. We do yard work. You can fill it up with a whole bunch of things. And you can do all of that, which a lot of that stuff's good, and not remember the Lord. I would encourage you, do it in such a way to honor and glorify the Lord and remember him. Take time to set for yourself to read God's word. Set aside time to worship the Lord through gathering at church with fellow Christians to confess the truths of the faith. Sit under biblically faithful preaching. But this, coming to church every Sunday, that's not enough. You need to remember. I can't stress it enough. We get so complacent, we get so set in our ways, we get so comfortable you can easily forget. Don't be like the people of God in this passage. So we see the power of influence. We see our need to remember Next, I want us to look at the judgment of God. Read with me in verses 14 through 17. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. So the Lord is faithful to bring about his word. 
We saw it from before that God promised judgment if they were to not follow his commands and walk in other ways, going after gods that they have not known, that his judgment would take place. And here it is. Not a, two or three chapters before, the Assyrians took down the northern kingdom of Israel. God promised judgment for them. It happened. And now Judah had fallen into the same ways, still didn't repent of their idolatry, and the Lord said, okay, here it comes. And in 586 B.C., the Babylonians come, make several assaults on the kingdom of Judah, and finally Jerusalem is sacked in 586. And the people of God are taken, and they're exiled. Judgment is going to come. God doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't. Some of you, you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ. And I don't say this to scare you. I say it as a word of warning. The scripture is very clear that our sin has separated us from a holy God. That's anything we think, do, or say that goes against the law of God and against his character. We're all sinners, the Bible says. And if you're honest with yourself, you would agree you fall into that category. And if that's the case, you fall under his wrath. That's a scary place to be. I would encourage you, if you have never come to faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, today is that day to do so. Repent and trust in Christ. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Christian, for you, those who genuinely confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and seek to follow him, do not be deceived. You can be influenced by these other things. You can wake up one day and find, man, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And all that while, you were just blind to the fact that those little bitty choices you were making, those voices you were listening to, and your failure to remember God's word led you to a place of desolation. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever in this case is that from the scriptures we know believers, even if there are points in their uh, spiritual life where they fall, they, you know, they're struggling with sin and they do sin, eventually they are going to repent. Repentance comes because the spirit of God is within them. However, if you don't repent, the scripture is also very clear that if you continue in that, you don't repent, you die in that, you've proven yourself to be someone who wasn't in the faith to begin with. That's First John. So for us as Christians, the Lord gives us warnings and things like this as a means for us to stay in the faith. The judgment of God is real, okay? We need to take that seriously. That's a means to spur us on to love and good deeds, to remember, to follow after him in obedience. We should fear the coming judgment. But for Christians, it's not a judgment of whether or not we will go to hell or be with God forever in eternity. It's a, it's a judgment of, did you waste your life? What, what did you do for the kingdom? I heard Dr. Oreck say one time, when we die and we stand before the Lord, 
when we cross that finish line, will we limp across it or will we run? That's the encouragement for the Christian to live day to day, waking up every morning, striving to live today in light of eternity. The choices you make at work, they're significant. What you cultivate when no one's watching in your heart by the voices you listen to, they're significant. How you participate with the Holy Spirit in shaping your heart and sanctification, it's significant. What are you doing to cooperate with the Spirit in that work? Are you cultivating a life that continually remembers the Lord and to follow him? But it's not enough just to remember. You actually have to respond. You have to do something about it. You can sit here all day long listening to all of Dr. Oreck's sermons that are posted on the website. You can read the Bible from cover to cover. You can memorize it. You know the catechism backwards and forwards. And yet, if you do nothing about it, it's no good. Doesn't do anything for you. I encourage you, don't just remember the word of God. Be obedient to it. Because we will be judged, whether you're an unbeliever or a believer. Judged in different ways, but a judgment nonetheless is coming. So we see the power of influence. We see our need to remember. We see the judgment of God, but we see the mercy of God in this passage. Notice how Josiah responds. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Aikam the son of Shaphan and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the king's servant saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And through the prophetess, the Lord says, Yeah, judgment's coming. It's coming. But he spares Josiah because of his response to the reading of the book of the law. In that moment, not only did he read it, but he responded to it. And you can read in the succumbing chapters the reforms that Josiah made. Josiah was one of two kings in all of Israel and Judah during the monarchy period when after the kingdom was divided. He was one of two that is said... He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord without that, that fatal conjunction that comes after, but. See, all the other kings that it said they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, it always follows with a qualifier, but they did not tear down the Asherah and the high places. There was still idolatrous influences that they allowed to continue among the people of Israel. Josiah repented, and he repented completely. This repentance was radical. If you read in chapter 23, completely breaks down all the altars, the high places. Look at him, what he's doing right now in this chapter. He's cleansing the temple. Then he goes on and he restores the Passover. They haven't been doing the Passover. This was foundational to someone who was a part of God's covenant people in the Old Testament. 
the miracle that God worked in the land of Egypt. He called them to remember what he had done through keeping this festival and they hadn't been keeping it. Josiah, radically reformed, brought the people back under the authority of God's word and to follow its commands and precepts. And so Josiah received mercy. Now, as we said, Judah was still judged. But Josiah, in that moment, he received mercy. That disaster did not come in his lifetime, and the people were able to live on under his reign, also enjoying the fact that that disaster did not come in that time. And it's, it's a word to us. How we respond to God's word is crucial. There is, sinner, there is a way for you to have salvation. It's not through your merits. It's not through anything that you could possibly do because if we're being honest, the book of the law right there, if you were to read it from cover to cover, everything that you're supposed to do, that's a high order and a tall task to accomplish. And if we're honest, we don't meet it. So what other way can we be made right with God? Well, through the line of Josiah, after the people were exiled, God brought about the true son of David, the true king of Israel, Jesus Christ. The only one who has ever lived in such a way to completely fulfill the words of that book which they had forgotten. And Jesus never forgot it. It was continually. He embodied what it meant for it to be on his mind all the time. From when he rose in the morning to when he lay his head down at night. The law of the Lord. And he obeyed it perfectly in thought, word, and deed. Then he went and bore the wrath of God for your sin and mine. So that if we repent of our sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation and the hope of eternal life, we can have that very thing. That is your only hope in life and death. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, come to Christ. Repent of your sin. Agree with God about your sin and turn to him and trust in him alone for that salvation. But for the Christian, there's mercy for you too. Because even if we, even if you look at your life and you say, man, you know, those friends I was hanging out with that I have been hanging out with and have kind of said, you know, what they like, what they've been doing, the immorality they've been taking part in, or, you know, the way they treat their authority figures or um, the way they treat other people disrespectfully, the way they use language and unwholesome talk, you know, that stuff doesn't affect me. You maybe said that initially, but if you're honest with yourself, if you're not, if you're giving yourself to that, you're not combating it with the word of God and scripture, that stuff will influence you. Sometimes that means you have to cut that off. You have to say, no, I, maybe I shouldn't hang out with those friends anymore. Maybe I shouldn't have this job because this job puts me in morally compromising situations. I know I have to provide, you know, God has called me to work and do certain things in my life, but, you know, this job, it may, be, it may be putting me in morally compromising situations. I would encourage you to remember the Lord your God, that you might be right with him first before all those other things. You will not regret, you will not regret putting yourself continually under his word, under his teaching, following and living after it at the end of your days. You will not regret it because all this other stuff that the world is telling us to buy into, it's going to fade. It's going to go away. 
and only what is done for Christ will last. I encourage you, Christian, examine yourself. See what influences are in your life. Are you succumbing to them? Are you putting yourself in a spot to where you're regularly remembering? And if you see that in your life, repent. There's grace in Christ. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repent of those things. Come back. Remember the Lord your God. Don't end up like Judah was in this, in this passage. Your only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. And ultimately God still fulfilled his promise to them. He, kept the, he made his promise to David to keep his line. Until he, and he would bring the true king from him. And he does. Even in the judgment of his people. And through these events, God sovereignly orchestrates salvation for anyone, not just Jew, but Gentile too, who would repent and trust Christ. That's a beautiful thing. That's our only hope for salvation, Christian. That's the only hope for your sanctification. In viewing both of them, you have to look to the cross of Christ. He is the means whereby we come into the faith, and he's the means whereby we grow, into the, grow in the faith in more and more likeness of him. So in conclusion, Christian, what do you need to do? Examine your life. Where are influences that you may need to cut off? Are you remembering the Lord? Is there some greater measure in which you should, or is there some time you should carve out instead of doing other things to read God's word or spend more time with believers Whereas all you do is come here on Sunday and listen to preaching once a week and that's it. Unbeliever, you have business to do with God. There are plenty of people in this room that would love to talk to you. To be able to share what it means to walk with the Lord, to come to faith in Christ. Ask, come, talk to us. Don't leave here today without that. But remember, the grace of Christ for all those who are sinners in need of his saving grace, those who are already believers but needing his help to walk more and more in greater faithfulness to him. So let's pray.